0: Say amen. All right. And uh, it just popped off the page at me. Use it or lose it. How many times have you ever heard anybody say that, no matter what they were referring to, a lot of times that's a a motto, if you would, that coaches use for their team. That's a motto that workers use for their employees. Uh, You use it or lose it, amen? Uh, I've been told several times, I know Brother Steve, it's kind of a pet peeve of his because he's worked in the money sector, if you would, for so long uh, that it gets kinda under his skin, if you would that when he hands somebody some money for per- and they the person that takes the money doesn't know how to give change back, can't figure it out. Well, I ran into that yesterday at Wendy's. They just hired a young girl, and I'm gonna say young, I'm saying 15, 16, 17, in that range somewhere, and I watched her mess up three, and included, my, I was the third one, people's change in a row. Everybody that got change, she gave them a dime. You know, I had ninety cents coming back, and she gave me a dime. And then she looked at it, and I looked at her, and, and didn't say nothing. And she said, "I don't think that's right." So she had the manager come over and open the change door, because you can't do that once you close it. And so the manager opened, and she took out, and I got two dimes back. So I must have been double blessed. <laughs> but still, I didn't say nothing. It's it's only seventy cents, and and. Uh, um, but I'm quite sure that there's going to be enough people say something to her pretty quick that they're going to have to give her a, a kindergarten class in how to make change for money. But, and the sad part is the cash register told her she'd me 90 cents back. She didn't have to think about it or worry about it. She just didn't know how to count out 90 cents. How do you get to be 16 years old or thereabouts and can't count change? Oh, well all right nonetheless you either got to use it or lose it amen all right just about every aspect of our lives we see where it takes a a level of skill to perform any task that needs to be achieved and of course i just told you about that person yesterday i would have thought they would ask her can she count money or give her an example or at least before they put her on the cash register. I mean, she could have probably made french fries, she could have made hamburgers, or she could have done other things before they put her in charge of, if you would, the money. But nonetheless, even though the computer screen told her what I should get back, uh, she didn't understand how that should happen. But I know uh, there's a lot of things going on in our world around us and a lot of things that need to be achieved and taken care of that people need to understand if you're going to do a job you got to have the skill for it. Amen. If you don't know, what can you do? Oh, good. We can pull out our iPhone. We can Google it. We can get a YouTube on some things that show us what we should do. But nonetheless, we need to be up to speed for the things that we're doing in our life. So, if you will turn in your Bibles, the second Corinthians, the 7th or the 6th chapter, And I'm going to start reading a few verses here and then we'll get into the the, uh, message this morning. And I'm going to break in in verse 14 in 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? These are all questions, and of course, you know the answers to all of them. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my son and my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty then in chapter 7 verse 1 having therefore these promises dearly beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God amen So what we need to understand, no matter what we do in life, we have to be careful about how we go about doing it. Amen? So it is one thing to know the truth about the Word of God, but it's something else because we don't use the truth. The possibility is we'll lose it. You either use it or you lose it. Amen? We all know, individuals, at one time would have never thought of missing Sunday school or church, and yet today, they're not here. Where are they? I don't know. They don't seem to see the relevance in their church service or their church attendance. We need to make sure that for our witness, people know where we're at. My family, I'm God bless them. I appreciate them coming to visit, but there are certain times they know not to bother. Amen. Sunday morning's not a time to call me and ask me how to fix something because I won't answer. I got other priorities then. Thursday night's not a, I tell my customers, I'd like to get to you, but nope, I got another commitment. I'm a pastor and I'm going to be in church Thursday night, Sunday morning. So you just have to mark that off and when I get to you, I'll get to you. And uh, we'll uh, take there if, you, you know, if that's not satisfactory. I, my feelings won't be hurt if you want to go somewhere else and I've yet to have any of them go anywhere else because of the time schedule I put on them so that I could be in church. All of us witness the process ourselves in our own lives. You gotta use it or lose it, you know what I mean? Now when I was younger, decades ago, when I weighed 150 pounds, I could run, I could jump, I could fall down, amen. But now decades later that I weighed 250 pounds, If I do any of those things, it's an accident. (laughs) Amen? Each of us have had a job, and we had to develop certain skills to make us, if you would, usable to our employer to to perform that job, and some of them were difficult. Some of the jobs and tasks we had to do were very hard to understand and get uh, acquainted with and, and perform well on that job. And so if they were difficult, but it was necessary for us to maintain our jobs is to be able to do that job. Amen? If we wanted to stay employed, we had to learn what we had to do to stay employed. I know and when I first worked, went to work for Sears, now I'm a country boy. I don't know a whole lot about those city, highfalutin kind of peoples, but I had to work on things that Sears sold and they sold treadmills. Isn't that something? Well, on a treadmill, you just stick a key in it that tells the treadmill you're ready to walk, and you hit a few buttons, and it takes off. But what if it don't? Do they know what to do? Hello? Send me a man. i never seen a treadmill before. i never been on a treadmill before. Uh, t- I tell us, A funny story about Julie, after I had worked on them for a while, we went to the Tri-County store, and they had some treadmills in there. And they were plugged in and ready to go. And uh, back then, the speed was done with a dial rheostat. The farther you turned it, the more juice went to the motor, the faster it went. That's easy to understand, right? So I got on there, and Julie was a little shaver, and she wanted to walk. I'm uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And I got on there and I plugged it in. I said, here we go, this is how you change your speed. And I turned it and just going real slow and she's walking on it. I said, do you like that? Oh, that's fun. Can I go faster? Yeah, I turned it up a little bit and it picked up speed a little bit. Oh, great, turn it up a little more, a little faster. And I turned it up a little bit and she is walking just fine. Finally, she decided to really test this thing out. She grabbed that dial and turned it all the way. Shoo, <laughs> crossed the floor, she went. Amen. So you learn how to do them by experience sometimes. You know, but when I got into working on treadmills, I had to ask the customer, how you turn it on? I didn't know how. Where's your owner's manual? Let me read that real quick. Let me check this, you know, until they showed me some of those things. But by the time I left 30 years later, hey, they was calling me for troubles that the factory couldn't even figure out what was wrong with them. They're really simple when you boil it down because if it either works or it don't, if it don't work, you replace it, so go from there, amen. But anyway, in those skills that we've had for our jobs, we've had to, to be up-to-date even on those things. I worked on cars back in the years when they had carburetors. Huh. Well, that was the last time you saw a carburetor on a car. Yeah, that's been decades ago, Amen. They went to fuel injection and never looked back. They wanted the computer to control everything. At the beginning, they tried to use computers to control carburetors, and that didn't work worth nothing. So they went everything fuel injected, and here we are today, and now they're trying to even do away with fuel, so there you go. So one of the things you have to remember is some of the old sayings that we've heard. If it was easy, everybody would want to do it. You know, but it's, some things just aren't easy, so you have to learn to adjust and be part of those skill sets if you want to find employment. In our physical world, we see this example every day, but it's a shame when this pattern rolls over into our spiritual life. Let me give you a couple quick examples uh, and that we'll have to admit have been things that we all from time to time have to work on, a couple of them. Number one, faith. Hmm. In the last two services while I was preaching in the book of Revelation, I made the statement that we're all as spiritual as we wanna be, amen? You have to admit that. If you're not as spiritual as you wanna be, it's nobody's fault but that guy in the mirror that you see every morning, amen? So we have to take on that responsibility ourselves. And to follow up on that this morning, I'm going to say to all of us, we have as much faith as you want to have. Amen. Now I've heard the testimonies of those people that said that God answers all their prayers exactly like he prays them and you probably have heard those prayer requests too and how rich they are in faith, but then I've also picked up the phone when they called and they were in dire straits, you know. Now, me, as a fleshly guy, I'd want to say, well, wait a minute, you said before everybody in the church, God, you got all the faith. You're so rich in faith and God to interest. Now, what's the problem, you know? No, that's not the way a pastor would handle it. I understood that sometimes you're... uh, parakeet mouth can overload your elephant, never mind. But nonetheless, we have to make sure we do the things that God wants us to do. In faith, we understand that there are times when our faith can be weak. There are times when we just can't struggle, get off the couch, if you would, to move forward in some areas. And uh, there are times that your faith is weak. There's times your faith is strong. There's times your faith can be little. There's times it can be bigger. Let's face it. Faith is a process. Amen? Now, I realize a lot of you have not heard that before or maybe never come to grips with that thing. But it can be, if you would, an educational process in developing faith. You have to work at it. You have to study it. You have to take the tests and to see where you stand when it comes to faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's not something that it's automatically given to you. You never have too much if you want to say it that way because if you had too much, you wouldn't have to come and hear the Word of God to get more of it. Amen? So if we'll do the things and and do what the two witnesses challenge us to do, our faith is naturally going to grow. Amen. I thought I can kind of relate it this way. When I was little, we like to go out in the playground and play football. All it did was give us black eyes and torn up clothes. Amen. But now as we grew up and as we got into then we found out, oh, they make pads and helmets? huh, that should make a difference, shouldn't it? Then we get into school and get to playing competitively, and we want to beat the rival schools. Then you go to college, and and if you're good enough, they even pay you billions and gazillions of dollars to, to act stupid on Sunday with that famous recipe. And so all of that is an educational process. None of us come out of the womb a professional football player. We had to learn to be what we needed to be. So the more you hear from the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the more your faith will grow, at least uh, in the circumstances you're facing at that point in time in your life. So again, uh, it's a, a use it or lose it proposition. Amen. When we do it God's way, our faith grows, but when we decide to do things our own way, our faith will diminish. God sees to it. All right, so now we know about faith. I want to give you a second one. Consider your hope. Hmm. Well, faith seemingly is an educational growth pattern. Hope is more of an emotional growth pattern. Amen? The more we face times of uncertainty, the stronger our hope is going to be. The more times you go through difficult situations emotionally and see God, if you would, as the light at the end of the tunnel and strive for that, the more your hope is going to grow in what God has for you. Amen. Although we can't educate ourselves into hope, we certainly can't prevail in times of trouble and disappointment if we realize that the Holy Spirit can renew our hope and help us when seemingly we're in despair at the situation we're facing in that life. Again, but on different scales, our hope is a use it or lose it proposition. Now, in the text that I read, Paul's writing, uh, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to let us know we need to be aware of the surroundings we put ourselves in. Amen? Verse 14 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, for the most part, all my younger Christian life, that statement was taught and it would only agree to the fact that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't marry anybody that's not a Christian. Amen? Well, I guess that's one way of looking at it. But just that statement alone should open our eyes to the alarming things that could be affecting us. Most people only see that in the marriage situation as far as other Christians. Although that would be nice if everyone would follow that advice, but even at that, that's no guarantee of a successful marriage. Marriage. You know why? To tell you the truth, the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. It's about 50%. Hmm, not very good. Amen? It's the same rate as you study it for Christians and for non Christians. That's a shame, but it's still the facts. I don't know if it has anything to do with whether they were concerned about 2 Corinthians 6.14 when they decided to marry the person they married or they had another motivation, uh, whatever. But nonetheless, and even people change. You can marry somebody, think, oh, I can't live without you. And then a few years later, you find out, yes, I can. (laughs) I probably do better without you. Amen. So we need to associate ourselves with people that lift us up spiritually, amen? Amen, now we may have people that on the job, we can work side by side and while I'm doing the right hand of the job, they're doing the left hand and the job gets done so great and we just get along wonderful, that doesn't mean they'd make a great marriage partner. It's a whole different ball game once you quit getting paid for it. So we need to look for those that look us at, that help us uh, spiritually in all the different avenues of our life. We have a church life, we have a work life, we have a school life, we have hobbies, we have activities, whatever they are. We need to do it with people that don't try to drag us down. Rather, try to at least keep us on the same plane, if not take us higher in the things that we need to be doing in our spiritual life, that's, it's okay to have hobbies. It's okay to have things that you want to do in your spare time. Uh, I think that's great. I thought we had a great ministry um, when we did the blankets and the prayer blankets. That went over really well, especially when we were able to take those out to the people that got those. But that's a skill I don't have. Amen. Now, I don't know whether I could watch enough YouTube videos in the, the rest of the years I've got left in my life to be able to make a blanket or not, but, uh, you know, some people have certain gifts one way or the other. It's no wonder the Bible verse uses um, the word neighbor in a lot of cases to help us understand how we should get along one with another and be responsible one to another in the things that we're doing. And yet, we all probably have neighbors. Some we like to be around more than others. Some we just are glad there's a, a steel fence between us. Amen? And some of them we plant trees just so we can't see what they're doing. Amen? We all understand that. But we need to make sure when we're doing the things we need to be doing for God, we do it so that it doesn't drag us down, but it actually lifts us up and in the process lifts others up also. David said it this way, my cup runneth over. Isn't it something that God can bless me enough that I've got something to splash out on people around me so they can fill their cup up also? Amen. Amen. Amen, we understand that when we talk about fellowship, we know what we're talking about. And here we have the fellowship that he's talking about here in verse 14. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? You know the answer, amen. They can't remain together very long, but what one or the other is gonna be effect, affected in a bad way. Usually, unrighteousness will prevail and affect the righteous rather than the other way around as human beings. Because we're sometimes um, realizing that a lot of people that consider, we'd consider unrighteous people in the things they do, we we tell them once or twice and they they just blow us off and uh, then we move on. But too many times, um, human beings, we fall into the path of least resistance. Amen. And we get tired of trying to pull up the unrighteous and we get tired of letting them tear down our righteousness and usually we just part ways and the fellowship then is broken because unrighteousness and righteousness usually don't dwell together, amen. So here Paul goes on then to talk about and say, what about your communion? Now he's not talking about the Lord's Supper there, He's talking about your fellowship one with another. How you get along? What does light and darkness have in common? Well, they can't have communion if they have nothing in common. All right? That's where the word comes from. Light will always try to dispel the darkness, and darkness will always try to overcome the light. They just will not be compatible one with the other have you ever heard the saying they shouldn't be in the same room together amen light and darkness just should not be in the same room together well that's also true of some people they just shouldn't be in the same room together especially if you're trying to live for christ and be the example of the christian that you believe he he wants you to be and you're around people that could care less or don't even try If you would, to be Christian or walk that way, it can be a real dampener on your experience. Paul goes on in verse 15 and draws the the contrast between Christ and Belial. Belial's just another name for the devil. What does Christ and the devil have in common? Now, since the Garden of Eden, they haven't gotten along at all, and he probably even before that. Amen? So here we go. There's, uh, what it says then is there's a contrast even between a believer and an infidel. Infidel is a non-believer. Amen. Either you believe or you don't, if you want to put it that way. And of course, again, the answer is they don't have anything in common, that Paul is putting these contrasts before our eyes and before the eyes of the people in Corinth so that they can see what they need to do. I got to tell you, one of the things that gets under my skin is I see the lawyers say on TV, if you got cancer and you've been around Roundup, call me. If you got cancer you've been exposed to asbestos, call me. Well, they must have a really big heart. They must really be thinking about you and feel bad that you got cancer. Is that what you think when you see that? Well, that's what they want you to think. Now, they're not going to heal your cancer. They don't have any aspects or anything to do that. They're going to uh, use your bad situation to uh, sue for a settlement that they're probably going to get about 70 to 80 percent of that settlement. Okay, so you can't see on the TV screen the fine print that's there, that's only there for about two thirds of a second. Uh, that tells what they're really after. They're trying to line their own pockets uh, and they're going to do it at your expense and that's fine with them. Amen. As long as I can get rich, doesn't matter who else suffers because of it. And uh, that's what I call ambulance chasers. You ever heard that term, ambulance chasers? Yeah, Uh, they're the ones that when you have a car wreck, they're the first ones there passing out business cards. Instead of asking you how you feel, they want to sue somebody over the situation. Amen. Then he goes on here in this particular scenario of how we get along one with another. And what agreement, in verse 16, hath the temple of God with idols? Well, you and I both know that the temple of God and idols have no place together. Uh, One of them absorbs and the other one attracts. So here we go. No one here that we're talking about is when, when uh, talking about temples and idols, they both are looking for someone to worship them. God wants us to worship him. Did you know that? Idols want you to worship them also. Amen. There's a lot of idols that people do worship. Amen. Uh, some of them come off the assembly line, nice shiny paint, and looking sharp. Man, if you can't wait to get there and buy one of them, Uh, only to find out a few years later it wasn't what you expected and it didn't last as long as you wanted it to. A lot of people have idols of pictures of presidents on paper that they carry in their pocket. Uh, Those things aren't the idols we need to be looking at. We need to look to the true worshipers and find out what God wants us to understand about being what we should be for him. The other idols, they're nothing but false idols. Worshippers to absorb anything you'll send their way amen you and I and uh, we're spiritually speaking the temple of God we found that out in the revelation when the 420 elders were around the throne you know what that was that throne that's the temple of God that's you and me amen we preached that the last two weeks amen so ne- never forget those things we're where God should be living on this earth. Amen. If God was on the earth and he's talking about being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, would God want to walk with you? Hmm. Well, here's what we have. We have the temple of God where God should be living and and that's the place of true worship that God wants us to give his way. That's what the rest of verse 16 means when it says... I'll dwell in them, walk in them, I'll be their God, and they shall be my people, because they have given me a place to live in their hearts and lives, amen? But if they're uh, not uh, my people, there'll be some kind of that looks to some image of metal, stone, or wood, and they draw it away from God, that one that lives in our hearts, they draw the attention away from that. Whatever that idol would be is a worship stealer from where God wants us to be. That's what Paul is teaching us there. So we get down to verse 17, and Paul uses one of my study words. Now you know my four study words. If you don't know what they are, Mike can, can give them to you. They're in the computer up there. He'll show them. One of them is wherefore. That's one of the four study words. It means, based on the context, that what I just said to you, here's the conclusion. So, don't be unequally yoked together. Don't be light in darkness. Don't try to straddle the fence. Wherefore, the conclusion is, come out from among them, number one. Number two, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Number three, Touch not the unclean thing. And number five, and I will receive you. Wherefore, let's do it. Let's take into consideration what he just said, and here's the answer to what we should be doing. My mind in that case, immediately when I read that, of course, I... um, just been speaking in Revelation, but my mind goes immediately to Revelation eighteen and four. Let's just look at that. Every time I read that, where it says "come out," now I'm not going to spend much time there in Revelation this morning. We put a lot of time there, and well, you can read from verse one down, and, and when you get home, and verse through verse five. But let me just read verse four here. It said, "And I heard another voice from heaven." Now we know what the voice is. Anybody know what that voice is? Well, remember, there's three things in the book of Revelation. When it speaks, it'll uncover. One is Christ. So this voice is the voice of Christ. Number two, it's going to reveal the church. That's the saved or those that are serving God, worshiping God. And number three, it's going to be those that are coming after the church. So he heard another voice. I'm telling you, that's the voice of Christ because it came from heaven. That heaven does not mean where God lives. It means your temple, right here where God lives. That's heaven. It's a heavenly place. And he says, come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins that you receive not of her plagues. So here we have a voice from heaven and it says unto you, all you that heard that same voice from heaven, you're going to hear it again this morning. Only it's not coming from, if you would, heaven where he, John heard it, he's going to, you're going to hear it across this pulpit. Guess what? That's another heavenly place if the pastor is up to uh, date with God and walking where he says. So when he says, come out of her, what, you say, what are we coming out of? False religion, idol worship, or whatever else is against the things that the church wants to be. And be not partakers of her, or her false ways, or her sins, and receive not of her plagues. What are the plagues? Her judgments. Amen. Go back to the first verse. You'll read it there. And find out that's what's going on. So we find out again that the revelation's uncovering three things. One, Christ is calling us. Number two, we're to be the church. And number three, we're to stand against anything that's false or works against the church. In this verse, in this revelation of truth, falseness of the worshipers is what he's considered about and concerned about as he speaks in the church today. Amen. Check out verse number five. For her sins, plural, have reached unto heaven. Now, that's not where God's at because there is no sin in God's heaven. And it doesn't mean where the birds fly because God's not judging that. It's been the same ever since God put it there. And the government can't even regulate it. God's in charge of that. But it's the heaven where we have in our hearts as a heavenly place when we get saved. And God hath remembered her iniquities. Amen. Why would you want to join up was something that God has already put his judgment on as far as not being what God wants it to be. Why would you wanna be involved in anything that's false or anything that God says stay away from? Amen? So with that in mind, now let's go back to our text in 2 Corinthians. And in verse 18, that's the last one of chapter six, it says, and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. God says he wants to be your father. He wants to be the one that you turn to and we heard Rob in Sunday school talking about his grandson come running with his arms held out. We heard Rose talking about her grandson. Well, I could say give you the same testimony of valor. Amen. When I hold my hands out and tell him I got a secret to tell him, man, he can't run fast enough to get over to see what that secret is I want to tell him. Amen? That's the way a father and son's relationship should be if you would in the infantile stages. But guess what? We're in a process of growing. Amen? Once you get born again, yeah, you run to God with your arms out wide, but then as time rolls on, you don't run as fast. Amen? I don't run near as fast as I used to run, but I still want God to know I still want to hear from you amen so in other words there'll, there'll be a, a rich relationship between us and god if we follow the guidelines that are set out in these few verses and of course the rest of the scriptures that the holy spirit wants to speak to us so let's bring it down to where we live go to verse our chapter 7 verse 1 in 2nd corinthians And he says, having therefore. Now the word therefore and wherefore mean the same thing. It means what I just told you. Here's the conclusion I want you to come to when I say that. You can even go back to verse 14. And even in verse 17, come out of her, my people. Uh, You can take all that in when it talks about therefore these promises. Has God given you any promises? Well, he gave me a whole book full of them. And the Holy Spirit's even added some more to them as I've walked in what this book has to say to us. So when we read those things, having therefore means that, the, that all these things that were previous, this is what I want you to, to understand. Having therefore these promises, the promises of being a son or a daughter through the righteous choices that we've made in our life. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Huh, that sounds like a full-time job to me. So based on what the two witnesses have said to our spirits this morning, we should see the importance of being separated from the world and all its selfishness all its influences, all that is negative that will affect our spirit and our walk with God, we need to put some room between us and them as far as physically and spiritually. If we're going to walk with God, we have to make sure we're not being influenced by all the negative things that the world and the devil want to throw in our face. The last line in that says we're gonna be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now the fear of God doesn't mean he scares you every time he comes around. That's a reverential awe or fear that you have. It's a, a term of respect, amen. We respect God for the fact that he wants to make us better than we are or better than we can make ourselves. He wants to pull us up even closer. That process of perfecting is a daily walk with God. It's a daily work that we have to go through to make sure our hearts are right with God. Amen. It's a constant work of maturity in our spirit. It's it's in a short term sometimes and sometimes in a long term, but really all it means is sanctification. You know what sanctification is? You put off the things that God says get out of your life, and you add the things that God says put this in your life. And even at me, at 46 years of serving the Lord, there are still things God says to me from time to time, don't go there no more. Amen. Now, there may not be sinful things or bad things, but they're just not going to be something that will help you grow closer to me. You put that out of your life, I'll give you something to replace it that will draw you closer to me. That's what we call the sanctification process. And it consists of the work of the two witnesses in our life to make us more of the image of Christ. That's our whole purpose in life is to be in every aspect of our life from little children right on up to adulthood and into maturity to be like the image of Christ as best we can. Along with the the constant education we receive with God, it's a warning of the fact that we need to use it or lose it. Amen? You see, God expects us to become more holy every day of our life. That's what he calls perfecting holiness. Amen? So when you're perfecting holiness, you're being more, if you would, mature in your walk with God. And he talks here about as we fear God or as we respect God, we're going to draw closer to him. Think of it this way. Jesus is the standard. That's the standard. as is any of you as like Jesus? Is any of you as good as he was? Any of you as smart as he was? No, because we're still learning, aren't we? But, Until we meet that standard, we've got a work to do on the person that we're looking at when we look in the mirror. We need to be more and more into the image of Christ and more of what God would have us to be. So do you think you're where God wants you to be when you compare yourself with your neighbor? No. Your neighbor's not Jesus. So don't fall into the satisfaction in your mind that well I'm doing better than he is amen some people judge that way in their lives amen now, I talk to people so you really shouldn't be dabbling in that you shouldn't go that way well they do and that what well, you're not being compared to them you're being compared to the standard Jesus Christ So we need to be on our guard, if you would, that that, we don't fall into that trap, amen? Well, I'm doing better than they are. Well, that's probably not good enough, especially if if it satisfies your longing for the judgment that you're gonna be facing. It's like the two guys walking in the jungle and they run into a hungry lion. The first guy sits down and puts on his tennis shoes. And the second guy looks at him and said, that ain't going to do you any good. You can't outrun that lion. And his response is, I don't have to. I just have to outrun you. Amen? (laughs) Amen. So you have to understand. uh, uh, That's a good philosophy maybe for today. But one of these days, you're going to be alone and face the lion. And the tennis shoes aren't going to do you any good at that point. You're not gonna get away with that same philosophy as you grow in your maturity towards God. So let's develop good habits spiritually. You know the things you should do. You know the things you should not do. The things you should not do are the things that when you think about in doing it, your conscience, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how how old you really are, your conscience will tell you, I don't think that's really a good idea. And you say, well, I don't think it'll hurt besides the crowd's doing it. You know? And if we give in to what the crowd's doing, it won't belong to your conscience. will be what the, the Scripture says is seared or calloused. And it doesn't really affect the things that it should affect in the way it should affect them. So we develop good spiritual habits. We need to have really a good plan of action when it comes to reading God's Word. I'm always putting out there, read it, read it from cover to cover, but I also want you to study it. I want you to pray about what you're doing and the righteous choices that God's putting out there for you to follow. I think you should keep righteous boundaries in your life. Amen? And we need to do that. We need to spend time with people that are spiritually going to lift us up and not bring us down. We need to make sure that the people we deal with, we deal with them on an honest basis. Amen, nothing aggravates me more than to go out to do a job for somebody and they're not wanting to be honest about the situation. As far as I'm concerned, I'm always honest with me and if they wanna take me, I've been taken before. It's not anything new and it's not something that uh, I can live without because I just want to be above board with all of them. And guess what has always happened? I've only got one customer in all the years I've been working personally out of my garage doing, helping people, neighbors and whatnot that still owes me money. One. Amen. Isn't that something? And he was a Christian. Or that's what he said. Amen. It's been a long time ago. He even told me what church he went to. And I even know the pastor at that church. I'm not going to say nothing to that pastor. not going to say nothing to him. You know what? God can handle all that. Amen. And if he can live without that $15, I can too. Amen. It ain't like he stole a million. Now, I'd go after him if it was that. Nah, 15 bucks. I'm not going to lose any sleep on it. Well, let me just tell you something. If you're around people that are lifting you up and not bringing you down, it's going to inspire your faith going to inspire your hope. It's going to build you up in a way that will help you in your walk daily with God. Amen? So if you're going to do that, make sure you find out what boundaries God wants you to have. Make sure you understand the standard. Make sure you know which way you should be going for God. And then use it or else you'll lose it. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.